Every year on April 25th, Australia and New Zealand celebrate a holiday that is unique to those two countries. It's one of the most important days on the calendar for them, and it was created to celebrate an event which took place over a hundred years ago. Today, the holiday has taken on a broader meaning and developed traditions all of its own. Learn more about Anzac Day, its origin, and how it's celebrated on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steak, such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at ButcherBox.com daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com daily and use code DAILY to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. This episode is sponsored by Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. I recently had the chance to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond, and I can attest to its exceptional aromas with hints of caramel and vanilla intertwining with its oakiness, which provide a well-rounded flavor profile. Taking a sip is akin to experiencing a piece of bourbon history firsthand. Heaven Hill Distillery may be America's most quintessential bourbon distillery. Established in 1935 after the end of Prohibition, the distillery was established by the Shapira family and has remained a family-owned distillery to this day. In 1897, Congress passed the Bottled in Bond Act, which set forth strict rules for any bourbon labeled Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond Bourbon goes beyond the stringent requirements of the law by aging its bourbon for seven years, not four. The end result is a gold medal-winning bourbon that truly stands out. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill reminds you, think wisely, drink wisely. Anzac Day is celebrated on April 25th every year in Australia and New Zealand. Today, the holidays become a general-purpose holiday to commemorate all those who served and died in all wars, conflicts, and peacekeeping operations, as well as the contribution and suffering of all those who have served. To this extent, it's similar to holidays in other countries which honor veterans and those who died in wars. The closest equivalent holiday in the United States would be Memorial Day. However, there are specific reasons why Anzac Day is called Anzac Day and why it's celebrated on April 25th and why it's only celebrated in Australia and New Zealand. The story of Anzac Day begins with the start of the First World War. When Germany invaded neutral Belgium, it caused Great Britain to enter the war in August of 1914. At the time, the British Empire was a much more unified concept, and Australia and New Zealand were self-governing parts of the empire with what was known as Dominion status. This was also the status given at the time to Canada and South Africa as well. Dominion status was sort of a quasi-colonial status where a country was largely independent but also still sort of a colony. 
When the war was declared, both the governments of Australia and New Zealand quickly pledged their support for the war. While the vast majority of the fighting in the First World War took place in Europe, it was in fact a global conflict. Germany, at the onset of the war, had colonies scattered all over the world, which were quickly attacked and taken over by the British. Of relevance to this story, on September 11, 1914, a little more than a month after the war began, the Australian Naval and Military Expedition Force landed in Rabaul, Papua New Guinea, to remove the Germans there. And over the next month, they expelled the Germans from the entire region. Likewise, on August 29th, New Zealand forces landed in German Samoa and managed to take the islands without any bloodshed. The Pacific Campaign of World War I did exist, but it was over relatively quickly. The use of Australian and New Zealand forces during this phase and theater of the war made absolutely perfect sense. This phase of the war has been mostly forgotten, as all of the main battles were being fought on the other side of the world. Like all the other countries which entered the war, Australia and New Zealand began recruiting efforts to encourage young men to enter military service. As the war went into full swing, soldiers from the two countries were shipped off to fight in Europe. Most of the soldiers from this region wound up being sent to Egypt in what became known as the war's Mediterranean theater. The original intent was to send the soldiers to France, but it was decided to keep them in the region for the winter of 1914-1915. In December 1914, the forces from Australia and New Zealand were reorganized as the Australian and New Zealand Army Corps, usually just referred to its acronym ANZAC. The original idea was to call it the Australasian Army Corps, as the word Australasian was used at the time to collectively describe Australia, New Zealand, and all other British colonies in the region. It was changed due to the complaints from New Zealand soldiers who wanted their own national identity respected. Despite the name, the original Anzac Corps formed in 1914 had soldiers from more than just Australia and New Zealand. It also included British recruits from India and Ceylon, the island now known as Sri Lanka. Besides Germany, the Ottoman Empire was one of the other major central powers in World War I. The story of Turkey in the First World War is the subject of a future episode, but suffice it to say that Britain and Russia had a vested interest in seeing Turkey out of the war. A plan was hatched by the 41-year-old First Lord of the Admiralty, Winston Churchill, that would be a decisive blow to the Turks and would give the British a means of controlling shipping in and out of the Black Sea. They would attack the Gallipoli Peninsula. The Gallipoli Peninsula is the peninsula on the European side of Turkey, forming the western half of the Dardanelles Strait. The Dardanelles, along with the Bosphorus near Istanbul, are choke points where shipping can be controlled. If the Allies could take Gallipoli, then it could serve as a springboard to take Constantinople, which the city was still known as at the time. I'll devote a full episode to the Gallipoli campaign at a later date, but suffice it to say, Churchill's plan did not pan out. On April 25, 1915, the first of the Anzac forces landed on the beaches of Gallipoli. Their primary landing site later became known as Anzac Cove. They encountered fierce resistance, and instead of a quick victory, it led to a long, bloody stalemate. The trench warfare, which was being fought in France, was now being fought in Gallipoli. By the end of 1915, the Gallipoli campaign was called off. It was arguably the worst Allied defeat of the war, with 57,000 Allied soldiers and a similar number of Turks being killed. Within the total number of Allied soldiers killed was approximately 8,000 Australians and 3,400 Kiwis. Both Australia and New Zealand were much smaller than they are today, and these numbers were devastating. Each country only had about a fifth of their current population. Word of the military disaster arrived back in Australia and New Zealand on April 30th. 
Both nations were in shock, as it was arguably the biggest tragedy to have struck either country in their brief histories. Immediately, church services were held around both countries, and within months, monuments to the war dead were already being erected. April 25, 1916, the first anniversary of the landings on Gallipoli, was officially named Anzac Day and was observed in Australia, New Zealand, and in London. It was an unofficial holiday at the time, but the anniversary was observed in almost every town in Australia and New Zealand, often with veterans of the campaign taking part in parades. It wasn't until after the conclusion of the war that Anzac Day became an official part of the calendar in both countries. Anzac Day wasn't just a holiday, however. The disaster of Gallipoli was a defining experience for both countries. Australia and New Zealand were both young countries, and many felt that neither country had a national identity of its own outside of that of the British Empire before the start of the war. Despite being a military failure, Gallipoli served to give Australia and New Zealand separate identities. It was one of the first international events where they were represented as distinct countries. After the war, an Anzac spirit was referred to, broadly defining the country's national characteristics. It referred to fortitude and bravery, but also a more egalitarian and laid-back approach than the British. After the Second World War, Anzac Day was expanded to honor those who had served in that war and all other conflicts as well. In 1921, Anzac became a protected word in Australia. Legislation was passed that said, quote, No person may use the word Anzac, or any word resembling it, in connection with any trade, business, calling, or profession, or in connection with any entertainment or any lottery or art union, or as the name or part of a name of any private residence, boat, vehicle of charitable or other institution, or other institution or any building without the authority of the Minister of Veterans Affairs. End quote. Anzac Day waned in popularity after World War II as the generation who experienced it began to pass, and a more anti-war sentiment developed against the war in Vietnam. In the 1980s and 90s, Anzac Day saw a resurgence in popularity. It's usually credited to have started with the 1981 Australian film Gallipoli, which helped bring awareness to the events that happened to an audience who didn't live through them. A 1990 visit to Anzac Cove in Turkey on Anzac Day by the Australian Prime Minister and the New Zealand Governor-General also increased public awareness. On Anzac Day 1985, Turkey made the name of Anzac Cove official. Visiting Anzac Cove on the morning of Anzac Day has become a popular attraction for many Australians and Kiwis. Today, Anzac Day is also a celebration of Australia and New Zealand's national identities. Commemorations are held at memorials and communities in both countries, often at dawn. Australian football and rugby league matches are usually televised, and small events are held all over the world where there are expat communities of Australians and New Zealanders. Anzac Day is also an official holiday in Tonga and the Cook Islands. One exemption to the ban on the commercial use of the word Anzac are Anzac biscuits. Both Australia and New Zealand claim to have originated Anzac biscuits, but their origin dates back to before the war. The biscuits, what Americans would call cookies, are traditionally made with rolled oats, flour, sugar, butter, golden syrup, and baking soda. It's believed that Anzac biscuits were made by women in Australia and New Zealand during World War I and sent to soldiers serving overseas. Because the ingredients didn't spoil easily and the biscuits could withstand long journeys, they were an ideal food item to send to soldiers. Anzac biscuits are consumed on Anzac Day, but can also be found all throughout the year. I should close by noting that the events on the Gallipoli Peninsula in 1915 didn't just create national identities for two countries, 
It created them for three. The Turkish defense of Gallipoli was headed by Mustafa Kemal, who went on to become the founder of the modern Turkish Republic. But again, that's for another episode. Anzac Day has become the quintessential national celebration in both New Zealand and Australia. I had the pleasure of being in Australia during Anzac Day many years ago when I got to taste an Anzac biscuit for the first time. For all of those listening in Australia and New Zealand, have a happy Anzac Day. The executive producer of Everything Everywhere Daily is Charles Daniel. The associate producers are Thor Thompson and Peter Bennett. I just want to thank everyone, including the show's producers, who support the show over on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, just head over to Patreon.com, which is currently the only place where you can get show merchandise. Also, if you want to talk to other listeners about the show, head over to our Facebook group or Discord server, both of which have links in the show notes.